All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome all those of you that are here and those that are joining us by live feed, those of you who will watch it later or listen to the podcast. Um, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> this is session 14, and I'm going to come back to this verse that I keep trying to drive home, and then we're going to go uh, look at some things in the Scripture. In John 14... Is the first place we want to go. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time we have together. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit and what you mean in our lives. And we want to open ourselves up fully to your total control. That's our task, Lord. And we invite you in to conquer us uh, and make us like you. We praise you, God, for your work in our lives that we're not what we used to be, and you're taking us on a journey to make us what you've called us to be. And we just thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So in John 14 and 17, you've heard me use this verse often in this teaching. It says, The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, One of my biggest um, concerns uh, for the Holy Spirit is the way we've become divided. You've got half the church afraid of the Holy Spirit and the other half feeling exclusive with it and getting in the flesh with it and calling everything the Holy Spirit. So somewhere we've got to find that balance to the reality of the Holy Spirit, his work, and embrace him and not be afraid of him and not exclude him and never talk about him. <laughs> so there's, uh, I think the devil's done a good job of dividing the church over the Holy Spirit, which is our greatest resource along with the Word of God. I mean, if you've got the Word and the Holy Spirit, you're going to do fine. But um, there's just a lot of people don't get in the Word. A lot of people are turned off to the Holy Spirit. A lot of people get in the flesh and call it the Holy Spirit. So we're trying to find that balance. This is our 14th session. So what I want to point out to you is, <clears throat> and this is a problem in the church world, is that the Holy Spirit's been here the whole time. He didn't just show up in Acts. Uh, he's, Jesus is talking to his followers, and he says, one of the things I hadn't pointed out in this passage was, he says, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. Now, how can they know something that's not around? The Holy Spirit was in Genesis. He was speaking through Isaiah according to the book of Acts where Paul talks that the Holy Spirit rested on Samson. We could go on and on and on. Jesus was filled with the Spirit uh, when he was coming and the Spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tempted. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit before he even showed up out of his mother's womb. Uh, I think it's offensive to act like the Holy Spirit wasn't around and like men were doing all this stuff. Uh, we can't get nothing right without the Holy Spirit. We've proved that uh, over and over. So what is different about the New Testament dispensation of the Holy Spirit 
in the book of Acts, there's certainly something different. No denying that. So for those who uh, don't see that, and that's why they don't really deal with the Holy Spirit, you're missing it too. You're just as wrong as the people who acted like the Holy Spirit wasn't around until the book of Acts. Both those sides, and that's what's polarized us, right? Is some people think, well, the Holy Spirit just saves people, and that's all He does, leads them to that. You, you gotta, you can't be reading your Bible if you believe that. You cannot be reading your Bible. You may be indoctrinated with some slant from a denomination with that, but I got, I grew up around full gospel, and I got so fed up with the flesh that I just said, I'm going to go to the Bible and build my life around that. We all come into church with slants, things that, that men taught that maybe weren't in the Bible or they just made up as they went. So I've tried to devote my life to the Scripture. And so my wife was raised in a church where they weren't open to the Holy Spirit. I was raised in a church where they were open to the Holy Spirit and got in the flesh with it from time to time. And so I feel like God brought us together for a reason. Uh, and so the, the, if, you, if you think that all the Holy Spirit does is just to lead people to be saved, then you've you, you got to be stuck in one chapter or something. Because the Holy Spirit, is, he's a, he, was part of the crea he was part of making creation. He's always been speaking through people. Uh, he's, he's anointed people at different times. The difference now is, he says, you know him. So they knew who the Holy Spirit was. They'd seen him operating in John the Baptist for one thing and then they said for he dwells with you and will be in you and that's the difference so God used his spirit from Genesis and beyond before that all the way to this moment feeling sporadically filling people with his spirit like John and Jesus of course using his spirit to consume somebody for a task for a moment, for a season. But things change when, when the Bible says when the Holy Spirit was given to us to fill us and to be in us and for basically us to take the Spirit home with us. And I've used that illustration about the bicycle a lot over this. So that's what's changed. The Holy Spirit is now using us as instruments or desires to. So the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, and, and here's another problem. Those people who say, well, if you don't have the experience that you read about in the book of Acts, you don't have the Holy Spirit. Well, that's not true. The Bible says that, and I, I've had experiences like we read about in the book of Acts. I, I, I know they're real. But the Bible says if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Him. And I'm going to show that to you clearly in the Old Testament uh, this morning, how that works. So let's go to Exodus chapter 30. And, uh, and let's look at... Uh, let's start in verse uh, 22, Exodus 30, verse 22. Now, I, I'm going to give you a, a, just a quick rundown. Uh, if you've got that tabernacle model that we put together, uh, there's furniture in that tabernacle. And uh, I'm just going to put them by X. If you come in the gates with thanksgiving and praise, you're met with the uh, burnt altar. You have the table of showbread here. You have the menorah. 
and the, <laughs> over here. You have the altar of incense here. You have the the Ark of the Covenant back here. And you have the laver here. So it makes a cross. You can see how God's beautiful with his designs. There's wonderful things that we have. We have communion represented by the, the bread and the wine. You have you deal with your sin first thing when you get through the door, burn altar. You give thanks and praise before you repent. And somebody thinks that's strange, but you can't even get in God's presence without bringing praise. That's how we, his presence shows up. So then after the sacrifice, then they go to the laver, which has a foot place to wash your feet and your hands. Jesus used a reference to that. You know, Peter said, wash me all over. And he said, no, it'll suffice. Because our hands and our feet basically represent what we do with our lives, where we travel, what we get ourselves into. <clears throat> the laver is filled with water. Once the blood's washed off the feet and hands, when you first go to the laver, the bottom of the laver is filled with mirrors so you can see your own reflection. After the blood's washed off the hands, fills the water, you can no longer see your reflection. You can only see the blood. That's salvation. That's what happens for us. God no longer sees us. He sees the blood. And then show bread. But this is the one I want to focus on. This represents the Holy Spirit. And uh, uh, the, the menorah or the candlestick. And, and you can see why most people, a lot, I shouldn't say most, but a lot of people's prayer life is dysfunctional. Because they don't understand all this. And so what they do out here, the altar of incense, is where we make our petitions most people's prayer life only has one piece of furniture in it and they're missing everything else so when they come before god they don't give thanks they don't give praise they they treat god like an er room oh i need this we get it quick they're about to oh help do what and and so there's no relationship there's no repentance things that the reason god calls us to repent first is is so that we can get things out of the way so there'll be no hindrances right do we get over here, have a cup of coffee with God's what I call a table of showbread. You just be real. Tell God. Then the Holy Spirit has to get involved or we won't pray according to the will of God. And that's, you know, James and a lot of the New Testament talks about that. So people come up here and he says, you pray amiss. And the reason we pray amiss is because we didn't take the journey before we made our request and let the Holy Spirit get involved and teach us how to pray and the and make intercession with us and for us. And so what happens is you get back here, and a lot of people just have a list like they would Santa Claus for God. And there's no, no uh, intentionality in it. One of the things that uh, I, the Lord started teaching me this years ago was you can't pray a prayer uh, if you get too emotionally involved with what you're praying about. And I, I, I probably didn't say that right, but... I went, when I first learned how to pray, and God taught me how to pray on the creek bank, I remember praying for some of my family, and I used religious jargon. I was still using religious jargon then. And I would say, I'd pray for I'd say, Lord, I was praying a particular part of my family, and I said, Lord, bless them. And this, I was just praying uh, religious prayers, you know. Uh, and they were the most blessed materially. They were by far the most blessed of any of our family this uh, one particular member was uh, over several regions of businesses and 
and all that stuff. And the Lord said to me, said, he stopped me. He said, bless them. He said, I have blessed them. You need to pray that I'll break them. Now, you don't pray those prayers in the flesh because you don't want to. I loved them. They were good to me, great relationship, all that kind of stuff. But to pray a prayer like that, you're not going to be, be intentional about that unless the Holy Spirit gets involved. And so the Holy Spirit was teaching me how to pray. Now, what I want to show you here is something very interesting. It's, it's talking about making the anointing oil. The oil always represents the Holy Spirit. When you got the guy on the road to Jericho, he's left. The Bible said he's half dead. That's an interesting term. How is somebody half dead? Everybody out there who's not a believer is half dead. They're alive physically, but they're dead spiritually. And so that, he, that guy on the road to Jericho is the type of all of us before we come to Christ. The Bible says the, the one guy that, the, that finally stopped and helped him, uh, the good Samaritan, uh, he, the priest passed him by, all, you know, right, all the Levite, all that kind of stuff. The good Samaritan stops to help him. And the Bible says he pours in the wine and the oil. Now that's the secret to becoming a part of the body of Christ. The wine represents the blood. The oil represents the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> now, in this particular case, he's telling them to make anointing oil, and the, the oil uh, is brought in with other substances. Now let's look at this. Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also take for yourself the quality of spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, Myrrh always speaks of love. If you go to the Song of Solomon, we got uh, talks about love on the cross, everything about myrrh. And he says 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much uh, sweet-smelling cinnamon. Cinnamon talks about desire and passion in the Scripture. And then he talks about uh, 250 shekels of sweet-smelling cane, straight, grown in the mud, uh, righteousness is what that speaks of. Uh, 500 shekels of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. <clears throat> the cassia uh, means growing in there. And, and that's actually the part that means like the muddy substance, clay. And then finally he says, and bring in a hint of olive oil. All right? So the oil brings all the things of God, the love, the righteousness, the bending down or the knee, all of that, it brings all of that together. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings all of the goodness of God to us together. And let's notice what he says about this. He says, <clears throat> the oil, they put all that in the oil and make this anointing oil. Uh, and he says, and you shall make it from these holy anointing oil, ointment compound according to the art of the perfumer, and it shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tabernacle. All right? This is what we see the, the, the drawing in of the Spirit or consecration of things. And later, we know that's people, right? He brings in the people. It shall be, uh, it shall, he said, with it you shall anoint the tabernacle, meaning the ark of the, of the testimony, the table, all these utensils we talk about, the lampstand, the one we're talking about now, utensils, the, all the utensils that go along with that, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, the laver and its base, you shall consecrate them, you will make them most holy, whatever touch of them must be holy, and you shall anoint Aaron, his priests, and consecrate them that they may minister to me as priests. So everything that was a part of God's tabernacle, 
had to have this anointing oil on it. If you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Him. So everything had to be touched with it. How do we come to Christ? Through the Holy Spirit. That's how we come to Christ. So you don't, you're not allowed, you're not a part of God's kingdom. If you're not been smeared, is one of the ways they put it in the, New, in the Old Testament, if you've not been smeared on with the oil of God, right? So you have the, you've been anointed, you've been brought in, you've been identified with the host, with the, the tabernacle, the temple of God. This was the identification. You could not put it on something that God hadn't brought in or hadn't commanded. So that's why we read about in the book of Acts, the, the Holy Spirit adds to the church daily such as should be saved. So our job is to plant and water, but we don't save anybody. They've got to have the, the Holy Spirit rubbed on them, basically, to come into the kingdom. So they come in. But this menorah, which represents the Holy Spirit, when I go through these, chant, these stations to meet with God, when I go pray, I use these stations. I give thanks, I give praise, I repent if I need to repent about something. I speak the Word of God. We're, washed by, we're sanctified by the washing Word of God. I do this when I pray. And then I just go to God and be real. Just have a cup of coffee with God. In fact, I'll take a sip right now to keep my voice going. And then, then the Holy Spirit takes this, these stations and illuminates me. That's what the menorah does or the candlestick. It illuminates me so that when I make my prayers to God, they're effective. The effectual fervent prayer of a right a lot of people their batting average is horrible when they pray because they don't take the time to be with god they don't let the holy spirit get involved if you're praying according to your intellect you're going to miss the ball a lot when it comes over the plate right we we got to pray according to god's will i was praying according to my religious upbringing and my intellect when i was praying for those people and the Holy Spirit arrested me that day beside the water and said, let me show you something here. So <clears throat> you won't pray the hard prayers if you're not being led by the Holy Spirit. You'll, pay, you'll pray the fluffy prayers. Now, I got invited to a function years ago to, pr and to pray. They asked me to do the invocation. It was a community function wasn't religious they just wanted a religious prayer right so before i prayed i explained what an invocation was i never got invited back by the way and i said an invocation is to invoke god's presence into a situation they just wanted to have a prayer and get drunk most of them so i invoked god's presence never got invited back but they asked me to do the invocation so I gave them a theological lesson, and then I prayed. It took about three minutes. But that's what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to get God's presence. That's what, <clears throat> that's what our governments, states, federal, worldly governments, they've tried to kick God out of everything. If we let the ACLU get by with everything, we wouldn't be able to pray anywhere. They don't, you know, <clears throat> the high school I went to was sued for having prayer before their football games few years back that's happened all over this country they've taken ten commandments down out of the courtrooms we could go on and on and on now kudos to the people where I grew up <clears throat> they took the preacher out of the press box 
where he couldn't pray anymore. And then they just, everybody stopped. Everybody was trained. They all prayed out loud from the stadium. It wasn't led by a preacher. They just spontaneously, you can't take that right away, or at least they can't yet. And so there's, there, we got to stand up for what's right. I was proud of them. Uh, I'd already left the area at that time, but I was proud of them standing up and still trying to keep God in the forefront. But what you certainly need to invoke God when there's a football game going on. <laughs> I did it every time my son played because you can get your neck broke out there. So you, you want God to watch over and protect them. So this, this is where the Holy Spirit is represented. So every piece of furniture, everybody that went in and out of this temple had to have the anointing oil applied to them, had to have the Holy Spirit applied to them, all right? But what's different about this menorah is that not only, and this speaks of what, I'm, what we're seeing in the book of Acts, not only was it anointed, but it was filled with the oil. So that's, what's, that's the transition. That's the difference between what Jesus was telling his guys. said, you know the Holy Spirit, he's with you, but he's going to be in you or going to be filled. You're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's the Holy Spirit's desire. On the, in the book of Acts, there were times in the Old Testament and certainly in the New Testament where the Holy Spirit was totally filled somebody, like John the Baptist, Jesus, of course, but even for moments or situations like Samson and Isaiah. But now he's desiring to fill us all and go home with us, to stay. So this, I, I say this, the Holy Spirit's desire is to conquer you and I. Now let's go to Exodus chapter 40 and we'll see this talked about just a little bit again in Exodus chapter 40. Uh, let's see. Yeah, in verse 9 he says, And you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that's in it and you shall hallow it, and all its utensils it shall be holy. You shall anoint the altar of burnt offering, and all its utensils, and consecrate the altar, and the altar shall be most holy, and you shall anoint the laver and its base, and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and wash them with water. You shall put the holy garments on Aaron, anoint him, and consecrate. So basically, you're set apart. Right now, this is this is a New Testament teaching of sanctification. The word sanctification means to be set apart and set unto. Right. So here's where we got to understand: the initial mo movement is to be set apart. Right. To have your sins forgiven, the Holy Spirit brings you into the body of Christ. But the fullness of being sanctified is to be set unto. And I heard this a lot years ago when I first started preaching. Is a lot of people grew up in church, so they said, well, we were told what not to do, but we weren't told what to do. And I've watched older people weep because they had children, and they just took them to church and told them to be, be quiet and listen. And then they would hear the preachers and even the parents say, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do that. But there was never, there was a lot of not very proactive Christianity. And well, what do we do, you know? And that's part of sanctification. You're set apart. This is what creates Pharisees, religious people. Well, I'm set apart. Yeah, but unto what? What are you set unto? You're set unto the service, the surrender, all of that to Christ, right? And the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, 
you weren't allowed to be in. That's why Jesus said, who's those guys over there in his parable that don't have wedding garments on? He said, they got to go. They can't stay, right? And so now he says, all these things have to be anointed. Then Moses did all according to God. Let me back up. He says, you shall anoint them as you anointed their father, that they may minister to me as priests. For their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. And Moses did all of that. So everything to be a part, you can't tell somebody who's a born-again believer, and this happens, but you, can't, you shouldn't be doing this, you can't tell somebody who's a born-again believer they don't have the Holy Spirit. That, that's just not true. Because they don't have the Spirit, they don't belong to Him. Now, is there more to the Spirit? Yes. He's with you, you know him, but he's going to be in you, right? That's the difference. So now what, 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 let me say this to the other side. The Holy Spirit don't just save you. He wants to fill you, empower you, give you power over Satan, over your own life so that you don't live a life in the flesh. The Holy Spirit's here to do so much more after you've been born again. It starts with that. You can't have the things of God without being born again. And it's, our time's almost up already. So what I want you to understand with this menorah, this candlestick, or this what looks like a piece of broccoli this morning, I want you to understand that the Holy Spirit, this menorah represents you and I. You get anointed. You get set apart. You get salvation, redeemed brought into the body, brought into Christ, brought into the tabernacle, however you want to say that. And now the design is to fill you up with that oil that you were set apart with. I'm figuratively talking here. So that's, that's what's changed in the New Testament. He says, you go wait, and let's go over to Acts real quick before we quit. In Acts chapter 2, <clears throat> he was setting these guys up in John 14 there where, where he said, the Spirit's with you, you know Him, but He's getting ready to be with you. And I use that illustration about somebody who's allowed to use a bicycle two times a week, and then finally they go over one day, and uh, they're allowed to keep the bicycle and take it home and use it every day. So that's kind of a shallow illustration of, of the Holy Spirit and how it works. But it says uh, in chapter 2, verse 1 of Acts, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound as of a rushing uh, mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared on them divided tongues as fire, and one set upon each of them, and they all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit, capitalized, gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem devout men from every nation under the heaven, and when this sound occurred, the multitude came together, were confused because everyone heard, heard them speak in his own language. So you've got this supernatural event taking place, where all these people are speaking in a language that they're not aware of, they don't know it, but it's coming out and everybody's hearing it. All these different nations are hearing it. I mean, God can do anything, right? <clears throat> then they were all amazed and were all saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans, how is it that we hear each in our own language? Because God was sharing the gospel with the whole world there. Now these people are becoming responsible to take this message to their own people. <clears throat> Parthians, Medes, Elamites dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya, 
and Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, and lift all these people. All these people in the upper room, Peter and all those guys, they're up there uh, waiting on the Holy Spirit to feel them, now, not just anoint them, but to feel them. All these people are born again at this point, right? They're waiting on the Holy Spirit. And, and if I go back to chapter 1, it says in verse 4, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard me say, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So there's another cue, right? The Holy Spirit's with them, beside them, anointed them, drew them into the body, but now he wants to, the word baptize, it means to immerse or consume. Now the Holy Spirit don't just want them to be anointed. He wants to consume them, all of us, right? And that's what Jesus is telling them. You wait because not only are you going to have the Holy Spirit with you, not only are you going to be identified with me through the Spirit, but he wants to consume you and control you. And, and I agree with the theologian said the reason he went after the tongue first is because it's the most unruly member in us. That's why the Holy Spirit went after the tongue first. Because that's the, and we, we make it like it's a trophy. People make it like it's a trophy. It's not a trophy. It's because the Lord said that one member in us, this is the only thing that the Bible says about it. It don't even say this about uh, sexual organs or anything. It says the tongue is set on fire from hell. And so that's why the Holy Spirit went after the tongue first. He did a supernatural act here, obviously. But he went to control the tongue first because you can have somebody who looks good, smells good, comes across good, but they may have a tongue. And nowadays, their tongue may be used with not even audio because people get on these social media platforms and don't even, they're so chicken they won't say who they are and they do all kinds of damage with their tongue. The Bible says that we can even kill someone with our tongue. And so that's why the Holy Spirit... Then he, I'm going to close right here. Therefore, when they had come together, and he asked them, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times and authority, but, but you shall receive power. So there's a difference. There is a difference. Now, for those Christians, I, I'm, I've hit both sides of this. For those Christians that lay around, lay around and think, Well, I got saved, that's all there is to it. You're, you're wrong. That's not all there is to it. The Holy Spirit wants to take you further. He wants to take me further. And he says, at which the Father put his own through, but you shall receive power. And we know that word dunamis, where we get the word dynamite. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the earth. Witnesses, martyrs, the word there. And the chief thing I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to do is to help us to die to ourselves. Once that happens, then he can flow through us beautifully. But that's the challenge. And, I, man, I got some really good stuff two nights ago. I was studying about Jacob, stuff I'd never seen before. And you'll probably get some of that in the near future. But I see, you can see, we get put out. We get arrogant. We get high on ourselves. We get mad at somebody else. All this emotional stuff. But you and I are on a journey. And I want to say to everybody, before I close right here, your discipleship is not a destination, it's a journey. And a lot of this was preached incorrectly in churches, and I was under some of this probably, where you got this person and you're judging them that they should have 
they should be accomplished when they're on a journey. Same thing, God had to wait a while before he could change Jacob's name. I'll just leave you with that. He couldn't do it all at one time because Jacob wouldn't cooperate as well as he should. That's the advantage we have in the New Testament. We now have the Holy Spirit to help conquer us. It's not just something we're trying to do on our own. And, you know, surrender is a hard task, right? It is really a hard task. You think about this. If somebody come in my house to kill my family, I wouldn't surrender. They'd have to kill me first. Surrender is a challenge, spiritually, naturally, or any other way. Lord, we thank you for this time we've had together. We thank you that the Holy Spirit is here to help us surrender, to conquer us. May we submit to his leading and his authority so that we can be everything you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.